Amen. Lord, you are indeed worthy. You are not only a worthy sacrifice, the only sacrifice that could be paid on our behalf, but you are worthy to be worshipped, to be praised, to be honored, to be glorified, to be lifted up. The name above every name is the only name under heaven by which men must be saved. You are a great and an awesome God. We love you so much. We pray, Lord, as we go to your word that you would be our teacher this morning. Lord, give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel. It is great to have you here. You can go ahead and turn your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. But before we get into the text, we're going to do one of my favorite things, which is have a baby dedication. So if Doug and Wendy would bring Deacon Douglas Dingerink up here. Triple D, I'm sure, is going to be. Thank you. Let me hold him. Say hi, everybody. It's my birthday today. What a handsome boy. You don't know what to think about me, do you? Whoops. Okay. Let's go see mom. All right, let's pray. Let's pray for this young man and for this family. What a blessing. Heavenly Father, we just lift up this young man to you, Lord. Little deacon, Lord. Name means servant. And I do pray and ask in Jesus' name that he would grow up to be a, a young man who serves you with his whole heart. Father, we dedicate his family to you, Lord. I pray for his father, for Doug, Lord. Help him to be a godly example to his son. I pray that Deacon will be able to look at his dad and see what a godly man looks like. Father, I pray also, Lord, for Wendy, and I just pray that she too would be a Christ-like example to her son, and Lord, that you'd be glorified in their home. Lord, I thank you and praise you that he's being raised by godly parents who love you. And Lord, we dedicate his life to you now. Lord, every aspect of it, may your hand be upon him, may you be blessed and ministered to you through him, Father. And I just pray your blessings upon him. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said... Amen. Amen. He was just praying with us, guys. It's okay. God bless you, buddy. God bless you, guys. All righty. God bless them. That's awesome. Love kids. All right, one more thing real quick. I'm going to do something kind of personal. Anybody know who that is? Anybody have any idea? That's my parents. It's their 49th wedding anniversary, and they're here today. They're back there. All right. Love you guys. I'm glad you're here. When you're the pastor, you can do stuff like that, you know? All right. Let's pick up where we left off. This morning we're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and appropriately enough, was that a powerful video or what? And our God is in control, and we can trust Him. And our God is faithful. And you know what? When the time comes for us to leave this earth... My prayer is that every one of you is in his hands. And this letter was written by the Apostle Paul following up the first letter. If you'll remember, the first letter was written to this city where Paul had spent just three weeks. But while his time there, he ministered to these people living in an idolatrous city that was, was very wealthy, that was on the ocean or on the water. And 
And it was in that city, in that place, in three short weeks, he saw an incredible revival. Many people were saved. Well, there were those who were there who didn't like what he was preaching. And he was chased out of town. So after just three short weeks, this church of brand new believers was left in the midst of great persecution. And in the middle of that persecution, word came back to the Apostle Paul that there was some confusion. At the same time, he wrote the first Thessalonians, if you were here, encouraging them to continue to stand fast in their faith because they were standing fast in the midst of an idolatrous nation. But at the same time, in that short time he had with them, he had taught them about the coming of our Savior, that he was coming again. And there was confusion among the people because some of their family members had begun to die and they thought, well, maybe he, we're, they're going to miss it. Because he said the Lord was coming. He obviously preached it as an imminent return. It could happen any time. He wanted them to be ready and live in their life every day as if Jesus Christ could come back today. And because they were living that way and family was dying, they were concerned. So in the letter, not only did he encourage them in their faith, encourage them to continue to stand fast, but he spent some time clearing up this whole question of the day of the Lord and the rapture. I don't have time to go into it as in-depth as we did last Sunday and throughout 1 Thessalonians. I encourage you to grab the CDs. They will always be free. But I want you to know this. Jesus Christ can come back at any time. He can come back today. No man knows the day or the hour, but we ought to be living every day like he's coming back today. Because he can. And you know what? He told them and encouraged them. First, that those who had died were in the presence of the Lord. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. For Christians, we don't die. We just move to a much better neighborhood. Amen? We leave this dead tent behind and we go live in the presence of Almighty God where we will be with Him forevermore. And so for us, death is graduation day. It's the greatest day. It's the best day. We should look forward to it in a sense. But while we're here, let's live lives that are going to impact eternity. But then he also told them that they need not be concerned about wrath. He had also taught them in the short time he was there the truth about the fact that God's righteous judgment was coming. And he said, you need not worry about that. Why? Because God has not appointed his children to wrath. God has not appointed you or I to be here when he brings righteous judgment. The rapture comes, as if you were here last week, it's going to come, and it, could come in, it will come in a twinkling of an eye, we will be snatched away, and then during that time will be the rise of, a, of an evil man by the name of the, the Antichrist, is what he's called, and he will rise up, and he will join the people together, and he will bring peace on earth, and they will think he's finally the answer, and so many will be duped, but three and a half years into that time is what is called the abomination of desolation, and at that time, he's going to reveal himself for who he really is, and when he does... The Jews, for the first time, will recognize that they've missed out on the true Messiah and their eyes will be opened to the truth of Jesus Christ. As I said last week, and hopefully it will help you clarify some things, the whole Daniel's prophecy and the tribulation, it's really not aimed at the church as much as it's aimed at Israel. God is not done with Israel. We are pro-Israel. You know why? Because God is. And so because he is, so are we. But at the same time, right now, the, the Jewish people are, as a whole, as a nation, are in rebellion against God. But there's going to be a time when they turn their eyes back and look upon the one whom they have pierced, and they will be saved. Now, during the tribulation, it won't only be the Jews being saved. Many will be saved. But they will be saved through difficulty. They will have to do, take, you know, reject the mark of the beast. Their lives will be taken from them. They will endure great persecution. Now, as Christians, we go through tribulation. We will not be here for the great tribulation. 
Now, 1 Thessalonians was written, he covered all of those subjects I just shared with you, and now, a short amount of time, he's writing yet another letter. How come? Why is he writing another letter so quickly after the first one? Well, he had taught them clearly about the great tribulation and what was to come, and there were false teachers who came because they were being so persecuted by the world that told them we're in the great tribulation right now. Some people even showed up with a letter that was supposedly written by Paul that said, we're in the middle of the great tribulation. And because they thought they were in the middle of the great tribulation, many of them lost faith, many of them became confused, and some of them quit, quit their jobs and were just waiting for it to be over. He writes this letter to let them know, you are not in the great tribulation. You're facing persecution and you need to stand firm. And then in chapter 2, he's going to talk to them and define yet again that day of the Lord and give a better understanding to the second coming of Christ. And then in the third chapter that we'll see in a couple of weeks, he talks to them about not being Christians who check out. He talks to them about not just sitting and waiting for God to come back. And it's in that chapter where we see those words, you hear me often quote, a man who does not work shall not eat. He tells them very clearly that they need to be busy about God's work. Guys, the Lord could come back today, but you know what? We need to live every day like He may not come back for 20 years also. We need to plan and live every day like He could come today, and at the same time, we should not sit back and do nothing because we think He might. It ought to create an urgency in our hearts, not a complacency. Amen? It ought to give us a greater burden for the lost and move us to reach out to the world around us. Now... I titled the message today, and when, you, when I give you the title, you're going to think it's an odd title because it is. But I titled the message, Two Undeniable Truths That the World Struggles With. Two Undeniable Truths That the World Struggles With. Even people within the church try to explain these two things away. And they try to explain it away because it makes them uncomfortable. Let me make it really clear to you. If something makes you uncomfortable, doesn't make it untrue. And you know what? We need to be uncomfortable sometimes. And we need to recognize that God makes the rules, not us. And we need to know that according to the character of God, the rules that He makes are going to be righteous and perfect. And so sometimes we struggle because we can't grasp a hold of all that God is doing. And guess what? I'm glad that I can't. I don't serve a God that I can grasp a hold of everything He's doing. Amen? Because then he wouldn't be that much better than me. But I'm so glad he's so much greater than me that I'm, I'm nothing in comparison to him. And so are you. Amen? And that's the God that we serve. And so he writes this second letter and he's clearing up this confusion. And the two things we're going to look at, and this is the alternate title for the, for the message, but I didn't think anybody would ever pick up the CD. Ever. I was going to title it, Earthly Persecution or Eternal Punishment. Those bad boys would be sitting back there until the Lord came back. Because here's the truth. One of those two things is in your future. Either earthly persecution from the world because you're standing for God or eternal punishment from God because you're separated from Him. Those are your two choices. Man, I, I, is there a C choice in there? I mean, is there something else I can pick? But I want to encourage you that what God does, He does for a reason. He's a faithful God, and we're going to see it today in the text. Too many today are watering down the fact that Christians will face persecution. We're trying to make it the Christian cruise ship to heaven. 
Come and join us on the Christian cruise ship where everything is wonderful. We have a 24-hour dessert tray, man. Just come on down. And, you know, we, we want to get people to come to our, and feel confident and comfortable. But here's the truth, you guys. Our lives need to be shaken up. We need not just to be on that cruise ship wanting to live the way. We, man, I tell you what, no matter how close I get to God, I always want to be closer. How about you? Amen. And whatever, Lord, you have to do to get me there, then let's do that. But you know what? Often the thing that needs to be done to get us closer is we must go through trials and difficulty and persecution. If the end result is you're closer to the Lord, is it worth it? Every single time. Amen? And that's what this text is really all about. If you are someone who didn't teach verse by verse through the Bible, I guarantee you, you would skip this chapter. Because this is not a chapter that is feel good. This is not the chapter that gives you the warm and fuzzies about things and you walk out going, yes, I am wonderful, aren't I? And God just told me. That's not what it's about. This chapter is really about the truth of the fact that as believers we're going to go through difficulty and that if we don't come to know Christ, judgment is coming and it is eternal no matter how many times you try to explain it away. You know what, the fact that judgment is eternal ought to stir us up to keep everybody we can from facing it. Instead of explaining it away, well, it's not really, it's just for a moment. No, it's not. And we'll see it in the chapter. Again, not what I think, not what men think, not what people voted on. I don't care what the Jesus seminar says and how many white balls and black balls voted on whether or not there's a hell. There's a hell, guys. And Jesus said so. And he's the only one that counts, amen? And so... What You know, you've got, man, I came to visit, and they got the thing about 9-11, and now they're going to talk about hell. Man, did I come on the wrong week. Here's the truth. Here's the truth. God has you here today by divine appointment. And he knew what the message was going to be, and he knew you were going to be here, and I pray that your heart would be open to hear from him what he has for you. Here's the good news. You've been, you're going to hear it for 45 minutes to an hour. I've been dealing with this for a week, okay? Now, believers who walk with God are going to face persecution, and unbelievers, sadly, are going to face eternity separated from God in a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Not my opinion, word of God. So if you hear, taking notes, two undeniable truths that the world struggles with. Number one, Earthly persecution for believers. Earthly persecution for believers. Number one. Number two. Everlasting destruction for unbelievers. Or everlasting punishment for unbelievers. Those are two things that the Bible clearly teaches and two things that people want to avoid talking about. Well, we're teaching verse by verse through the Bible, so we're going to talk about them. Amen? Amen. And in the end... There's an encouraging prayer from Paul, and I love the fact that that's good. Because at the end of chapters like that, we need some encouragement, don't we? All right, let's begin. Looking at two undeniable truths that the world struggles with. The first one, earthly persecution. You need to understand this. Persecution from the world for believers is not a form of punishment, but is actually proof that you're saved. It is not a form of punishment. It is actually proof that you've been born again. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. 
He didn't say you might have tribulation. He didn't say you might go through difficulty. He didn't say the world might not like you. He says you're either a friend of mine and an enemy of the world or a friend of the world and an enemy of mine. Choose today whom you're going to serve. Look at verse 1. Paul, Silvinius, and Timothy. Okay, Paul, Silvinius, another name for Silas, and Timothy. They are writing the second letter, or the second letter is coming from them, being greeted, again, written by Paul, and Timothy's delivering it, and they're greeting them. And the greeting is coming to them from three men that they respected a great deal. Paul was the founder of the church in Thessalonica. Amen. He was forced to leave after only three weeks. He had a burden for these people. He loved them. Silas, you know, the longtime companion of Paul. He traveled with Paul on his missionary journeys. He was with Paul when he was in Thessalonica. He had been with Paul when he was imprisoned as well. And so Silas was a man they were familiar with. Timothy was a trusted companion and associate of Paul. He had traveled with him on many of his missionary journeys. Later, Paul would speak of him as his son in the faith. Timothy was the one who had brought the letter, the first letter to to them by his own hand. These were godly men that they respected, that loved them, and they knew it, men who heard from God, and they are the ones bringing this message. This morning, this text, no matter how hard it is for you maybe to grab a hold of it, no, it is not man's opinion, it is the Word of God. Amen? You know, too often today we get to tough parts of Scripture and we go, well, that was just Paul's opinion. You know, Paul, that's just Paul. I mean, you know, he, he was like that. And he just had those kind of opinions. You know what? Paul didn't write the Bible as much as the Holy Spirit wrote it and just used Paul's hand. Amen? Amen. God is the one who wrote the Bible. If man wrote the Bible, it would be fraught with contradictions. If man wrote the Bible, it would be a total mess. But you know what? It fits together perfectly. 66 books, 40 authors, 3 continents, 3 languages, 1,500 years, 1 central theme, no contradictions. How is that possible? God wrote it. And you know what? God wrote this text, and we need to grab a hold of it, okay? Paul, Silas, and Timothy, men who love them, to the church of the Thessalonians. Now, the Thessalonians, again, it's interesting, he he says to the church. Church means called out ones. To the called out ones. Doesn't that tell you already there's going to be some persecution? To the called out ones living in a land filled with idolatry and immorality and godlessness. I'm writing this letter to you, those who've been called out by God. We are in the world, but not of it. Amen? This is not our home, guys. We're just visiting. But we want to have an impact on this place while we're here. It says, In God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, this is, these are probably the first two letters Paul ever wrote. And you'll notice that in his greetings, he's always linking the Father with the Son. And you know why? Because they're one. Amen. And the way that this is even written, it speaks of them as being one source. And they are one source. God the Father and His Son. Now, these called out ones, these set apart unto the Lord, and notice it says in verse 2, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, he he keeps those names together as well we should. But notice he says grace and peace. You've heard me say this before if you've been coming any length of time. They're like the Siamese twins of of the New Testament. Grace and peace. Because without grace we can have no peace. 
Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E. It's that unmerited favor. It's not something we earn. It's a free gift given to us by God. And when we accept the free gift of grace that He openly gives to us, we can experience peace for the first time. You know, Elvis Presley said, I'll give up all my wealth and all my fame for 30 minutes of peace. He just needed to know Jesus and he could have had a lifetime of peace. We can know him. And he said, grace and peace. Notice, though, that peace is linked to the Prince of Peace. Because peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not getting any peace through Buddha. Amen? Amen. Or Muhammad or any of the other false prophets that have ever lived. You can only have peace when you come to the Father through His Son. That's the only way. So, the result is peace with God and the peace of God as we live our lives in a world that so desperately needs Him. Guys, no matter what your circumstances are, you can have the peace of God. You can walk through it knowing that God is with you. Just as we saw in that video, so well done, that the Lord was on the 110th floor and on the 86th floor and in the stairwell and at home with people getting the call because our God is everywhere. And aren't you glad that you're ne- you never have to be alone? And if you're here and you're going through persecution or you're going through trials and difficulty today, you're not alone. Know that God is with you and He's faithful. Verse 3. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. In his first letter, Paul had encouraged them in faith, love, and hope. He encouraged them because he had word that they had faith. And they, were, they had a, a love for each other and they had a hope of what was in the future. But what's interesting is he had prayed for them in the first letter that their faith would grow, that their love would abound, and their hope would continue. And notice in this letter, he's saying, we have to thank God because I hear that your faith is growing. Word has come back that you continue to abound in love for each other. First Thessalonians says, night and day praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Later he says in First Thessalonians, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all. He says we are bound. We owe God a debt because he answered the prayer. That's what he's saying. We're bound to thank God because of what we see in your life. Anybody ever said that to you? Wouldn't that be a great encouragement if you're going through persecution and trials? To hear a word from your pastor, the man who had introduced you to the Lord, he's just a man, but writing you a letter saying, we are bound to thank God to hear of your great faith in the midst of this difficult time. Guys, we need to have some Barnabases in the church today. Barnabas means son of encouragement. And we need to look for those who are going through difficulty, and though they're not alone, and though the Lord is with them, but He also would love for us to go put our arms around those people and encourage them in love. Sometimes God wants to hug somebody, and He wants to use your hands to do it. Amen? Sometimes He wants to speak to somebody, and He wants to use your mouth. We need to be available to minister one to another. We're bound that your faith would grow, and that you would grow in love. Here's the interesting part. The thing that is making their faith grow is the very thing that they are struggling with, and it's their persecution. You know, it's in the midst of suffering and persecution that our faith grows the most, and we have the greatest opportunity to be a testimony. 
We say, Lord, I want my life to count. Lord, I want to be closer to you. Most often, that's going to come through difficulties of life where we have to trust in Him. Where we have to put our faith in Him. Where we can't trust in our bank account anymore. It's interesting. Suffering does one of two things. It finds out if a Christian is genuine or not. And it produces growth. If you are a fringe Christian checking this thing out, by the way, you don't just check this thing out. I talk to people like that, well, I'm just kind of checking the God thing out, right? I'm kind of checking out Christianity. You better, you know what? He didn't just check out the cross, amen? We don't just check out God. That's not how it works. But it's interesting, there's a parable that speaks to this. It's in Matthew. It says, but he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and receives it with great joy, yet he has no root in himself but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the world, he immediately, because of the word, he immediately stumbles. Guys, a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. It's one thing to say that I would give my life for the Lord and it's another thing to do it. It's one thing to say I would die for the Lord and it's another thing to live for him every single day. In the face of a world that You know what? It's not popular to be a Christian today. It's just not. We want to excuse away everything. We want to battle and fight over everything. And here's the truth. We need to stop trying to change people's morals and get them in love with Jesus Christ because once their heart changes, all the other stuff will take care of itself. Try to legislate morality. You know what? We just need to preach Jesus without compromise. Quit trying to conform them into an image that looks like a Christian. Let's get them to know Jesus Christ and it'll take care of it. And what's happening here is very clear that they're going through persecution and he's encouraging them that, you know what, your faith is growing and you are abounding. But there are those in the midst of it who are falling away. Paul is writing to a church in the midst of incredible trials and he's encouraging them about their faith growing. Those two things go hand in hand. Faith is like a muscle. You've got to exercise it for it to grow. And one of the greatest forms of exercise is not just stepping out in faith, but standing firm in the difficulties and the trials. We will go through tribulation, but we will not be here for the great tribulation. Let me make that very clear. We won't be here. Again, real quick, remember Revelation 3, 2 and 3, church mentioned 41 times. Revelation 4, the Lord says to John, come up here. You never see the church again. Revelation 6, all of the judgments begin. And the church is not mentioned one time. We won't be here. Now, why is that significant? Does it really matter? You better, well, a lot of ways. One, I don't want to be catching 120-pound hailstones myself. How about you? But second of all, if that were not true, we could not say that Jesus Christ could come back today. And we'd be looking for the Antichrist instead of looking for Jesus Christ. Because we would know he would have to come first. We'll hit that next week. I'm getting ahead of myself pastor sometimes guys our suffering is temporary and i want you to know this too it's never more than you can bear god is never going to give you more than you can bear he's never going to overwhelm you to the point where you just can't take it you know what the answer is not medication the answer is not in anything this world has to offer the answer is pressing into the lord the answer is Allowing him to put his arms around you and you stand fast and say, Lord, I know that you're in control and I trust you. 
Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. That's what Job said. And that needs to be our hearts today. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, For our light affliction, which is for but a moment, is working for us a far exceedingly and eternal weight of glory. Guys, doesn't it, isn't it more important that God be glorified in my life than me be comfortable in it? Some of you are going, no, I, was, I like the, I, I kind of like the, you know, the cruise ship Christianity. Now, where's that church? Because I can still go to heaven and, you know, have all the world has to offer. God is not a no fun bummer God trying to keep you from fun. He's a loving, gracious, heavenly father who wants to keep you from harm. And those things he directs you away from is not stealing joy. It's keeping you from the consequences of sin. He's a faithful God. Trust him. I'll tell you what, I'd rather be in the greatest amount of persecution, trials, and struggles in the world, covered head to toe in boils like Job with Jesus, than having everything the world has to offer without him. Because to me, what does a profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Amen? Amen? It's all worthless if you don't have our Savior. He says there, and the love every one of you all abound toward each other. It's interesting to note that in the midst of persecution, they had a great love for each other. Love is not a feeling, it's a choice. And I have found that when you go through trials with somebody, your love for each other grows. You ever notice that? I have the privilege of going to India every year and teaching hundreds of pastors who are getting ready to go out and plant churches in a Hindu nation. And these brothers know they could die and it's real. They know that all of them will face persecution. All of them. And you know what? I've never seen guys who have a greater love for the Lord and each other in my life. Because they have this common bond. And he's saying you're abounding in love and part of the reason you are is you're going through this persecution together. Christianity is not for the Lone Ranger, as you've heard me say many times. We need to be holding up each other's hands. A three-chord strand is not easily broken. Quit trying to do it by yourself. We need fellowship. We need each other. Love is not a feeling. It's a choice. And they were bound together through suffering. Now, one more point before I move on to the next verse. Here's what's interesting. He talks about their faith, and he talks about their love, but something's missing. In the first letter, he talked about their hope. You know what's happened? They've lost their hope. And you know why? Because they thought mistakenly that the great tribulation was already taking place and they had missed it. Guys, it's important that we understand and have hope of what's in front of us. Can I tell you right now, for a Christian, this is as bad as it gets. It's only going to get better and way better. Amen? And for the world, this is as good as it gets. And it's only going to get worse. A lot worse. Amen? We need to live in life, a life, an expectancy of what's in front of us. Faith in the finished work of Calvary, <clears throat> excuse me, and hope of the soon return of our Savior. Faith handles the past, unforgiven. Hope handles the future, He's coming, and I can't wait. I'm going to heaven. How many of you going to heaven? Aren't you glad? Amen. Doesn't get any better than that. I know it bugs people when I say it, but I'll encourage you to say it so they can be bugged by you too. <laughs> when I see someone really bummed, one of the first questions I always ask them, you going to heaven? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm going to heaven, but my boss is a jerk. Yeah, well, are you going to heaven? 
Well, yeah, but... After that, what's a bummer? Perspective, amen? Have eternity painted on your eyes. Verse 4. So that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. He says, we're boasting to other churches about you guys. You know what's amazing? These guys may have thought they were failing miserably and really what they were was an example to other believers. Maybe you're in a time, in a difficult time in your life right now and you're really struggling you know, in, in, in you feel like you're not doing the things that you should. And in reality, the fact that you're standing firm with the Lord in the midst of it is a testimony to the people around you. I want to encourage you with that. You may think, well, I'm having doubts and struggles inwardly. But you know what? You're standing fast outwardly and the people see it. People see that your faith remains. People see that you haven't walked away from God. In the midst of tribulation... We might say, why? In the midst of persecution, why is God allowing this? Has He forgotten about me? God has not forgotten about you. God is allowing you to go through it that you might grow and that others might be ministered to. God wants to use us. And one of the best ways for Him to use us is for us to go through difficulty and for them to see that we handle it differently because we're not going through it alone. You know, I had a close friend whose three-year-old daughter died in his driveway. I can think of a few things in my life that were harder to deal with. But can I tell you something? Through that, with Firefighters for Christ, he's been able to minister to tens of thousands of people. His daughter, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Is it hard? You better believe it. Is that as difficult a thing as you could possibly imagine? No doubt about it. But you know what? Through it, God's been glorified. And we need to learn and trust that God is faithful. And that God will comfort us in those times as well. The word there for patience is perseverance. It's not something you learn about by reading it. Guys, you can't learn about being faithful by reading it. Certainly we can be encouraged by another's faith, but our faith is only going to grow when we go through it. we got to go through the trials and go through the difficulty. And that's exactly what he's encouraging them, is that you're persevering in the midst of of persecution from the people around you. The word there, endure, means to hold up, to stand firm, to sustain, to bear. This is the definition of faith, standing firm in the midst of persecution. It's easy to have faith when, again, you're on the cruise ship. It's easy to have faith when all the money's in the bank. It's easy to have faith when all your kids are walking with God. It's easy to have faith when your health is perfect. But how, how is your faith when they diagnose you with cancer, or one of your kids walks away from the Lord, or you just got laid off from work, how's your faith now? That's when our faith is seen. It's seen brightest and clearest in times of difficulty. Then he says there in verse 5, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God. He's saying it's manifest evidence, your trials, your suffering, your difficulty is an indication, that's what manifest evidence means, that the Lord is with you. It's manifest evidence that God is in your life. The world is persecuting you and you're standing fast in Him. It's a testimony to the world around you. And it's also a testimony to the judgment of God that is coming to the world. The fact that you're being persecuted is indeed proof that you're a part of the kingdom. Paul said, all those who live godly lives in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now, I think in the United States, we don't grasp this. 
Because we don't suffer like... You know, in a lot of countries, you get baptized, it's a death sentence. Your family disowns you. You can't get a job. People won't sell to you. Why? Because you're a Christian. We think we're being persecuted here because of what are really light afflictions in comparison. But it's through those difficult times, how we respond, that shows where we're at with the Lord. The Bible says in Matthew, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, it almost makes you want to get persecuted when you read that. It almost makes you want to go, well, bring it on then. Why? Because rejoice and be exceedingly glad because great is your reward in heaven. And God will never bring you more than you can bear. The more closely you are linked to the Lord, the more you're going to face persecution. I've never been persecuted once in my life. Really. Now, I want to say this. Persecution is not when you walk around the office and get in people's faces and tell them they're going to fry in hell and they call you a jerk. You know what? They're right. You are a jerk. You know what I mean? You know, people, I've had people say, oh, I'm getting persecuted. I'm getting persecuted, man. How are you getting persecuted? Well, I was walking around telling these guys, you're all going to fry, man. You're they call me a jerk. I'm like, dude, you are a jerk. <laughs> we need to reach out to people in love, amen? They shall know us by the love we have one for another, in love and in kindness. Not, uh, so a lot of times we, we mistake uh, consequences of our actions as being persecution. Persecution here is when you're standing and living for the Lord, and because of it, things come against you. The world comes against you. Guys, the louder we stand for the Lord, the more we're going to face it. That you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer, is what he says the rest of that verse. That you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Salvation is not through our suffering, but our relationship with God and His suffering upon the cross is shown in how we endure when we suffer. You know, the Bible tells us that when we endure suffering, it reveals our heart. You know, Jesus suffered, and we join in the fellowship of His sufferings, right? And so when we go through persecution, and when we have trials, and we have difficulty, it's an opportunity for God to speak through my life. And we want to have an impact on the world. A reflection of a life that has truly been transformed by God. We can avoid to pray, we can pray to avoid the pressures and the persecutions when what they really are are the very things that will make us grow. Isn't the ultimate goal to know Jesus better? Is that the ultimate goal? If it is, then whatever it takes. And I'm not playing the martyr complex, okay? Because here's the difference. I think when we go through persecution, we're not walking around, you know, with a black robe on and ashes on our head. I'm being persecuted. I don't think that's it. I think in the midst of it, we say God's faithful. God is in control. It's okay. Got cancer? That's all right. Just means I'm, he's going to, one, he's going to cure me, and it's going to witness to the world around me, or he's taking me home, and that's better. So either way, it's all good. We can only have this attitude when we have an eternal perspective. Amen? If you're so focused on your job and so focused on your stuff and so focused on those kinds of things, you're going to walk around worried and anxious all the time. But when you're focused on the things above and you know who's in control, in the midst of the greatest difficulty, you can say, it's okay, Lord. I can't wait to see what you're going to do next. 
This is going to be good. And I get to be on the front row to watch my God work. You know, you take a worthless piece of coal, some time, some pressure, and some heat, and what do you got? A diamond. It's time, pressure, and heat. And the same is true for a Christian. When we go through difficult times, and we're pressured, and we feel the heat, that's when God can shine brightly through us. Verse 6. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. Wait a minute. Many people struggle with and even question that God can be righteous if He judged His people. But if God did not judge evil, that would rule out the fact that He's holy. Because if He is holy, He has to judge evil. Because if He doesn't judge evil, He's no longer holy. If there is no standard, then there is no evil. Isn't that the world we live in today? Let's get rid of all the standards and there's no evil. If the Lord did not judge evil, He would not be holy. He must judge evil. Now you think, well, that's kind of rough because I was born with a sin nature. And so I was, because of Adam and Eve, and it's their fault. And so because of them, I was born with a sin nature. And now I live, and according to my nature, and I sin. And that means God's got to judge me because I sin. And that just doesn't seem fair. And here's the truth. It is fair. But here's the better part. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. We deserve hell, and He's offering us heaven. We deserve separation for all eternity, and He's reaching out to us in love, saying, come be my son, come be my daughter, come join my family, and I'll take you just the way you are. Come to me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's our God. And what he's saying here is, those who persecute his kids, judgment's coming. Now, we should not walk around too happy about that. You know, you're persecuting me? You got no idea. (laughs) What raises the ire of a mom and dad more than someone tearing up their kids? I've told pastors many times, if I ever get disqualified from ministry, it's going to be because someone's harming one of my kids and I go off. And I hope I never do that. But I mean, I remember one time being at a water park and my son cut in front of people in line. He was like three or four. And he got down and a dad was over there in my son's face shaking him when he was four because he took cuts. And as I'm walking toward him, <laughs> I was not thinking about the wrath of God, but the wrath of Dave. <laughs> Vengeance is mine. Get your hands off my, you pick on someone your own, I'm going to drop you like a bag of hammers. You know what I mean? <laughs> And you're walking, and here's the funny part. I was there with the youth group. I was a youth pastor at the time. And I'm halfway there, and I'm already seeing the, you know, the article. Youth pastor beats man to death. In the... the Lord starts convicting me all the way. There. Oh, Lord, okay. I went into him, and I apologized for my son's behavior. He apologized back, and we moved on. Here's the point. We need not be happy about the fact that the unrighteous are going to face righteous judgment. We need to be warning them. We need to warn them. But we need not take it lightly either. We need not take it lightly. He says, to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, God will deal with those who persecute His kids. But unlike the vengeance of sinful man, God's, the word there in the better translation in the language is written is retribution. He is repaying them back for what they deserved And he's doing it not from an attitude of anger. Our God's not angry. 
with them. He's brokenhearted for them. The wrath of God has been defined this way. I like this definition. A holy and consistent reaction to that which is contrary to the nature or will of God. It's holy. It's consistent. It's not done in anger. But God is holy, so He must judge unrighteousness. He must, or He's not holy. And so He's telling them that He is going to bring judgment upon those who are coming against them. Second Peter says, God knows how to deliver the righteous out of the tribulation and to reserve the unjust to be punished. We talked about last week, Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham goes to the Lord, intercedes on behalf of Sodom, this wicked city. If I can find 50, I'll leave it. 40, I'll leave it. 30, I'll leave it. 20, I'll let the city stay. 10, fine, couldn't find 10. God brought Lot and his family out and then brought righteous judgment. Know this, we're going to get to this. But every time God brings righteous judgment, it's only after man has repeatedly rejected his grace. That's why we struggle with it. Is it fair? It's fair because God is righteous. Verse 7, And to give to you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. He's going to give rest to those of us who are troubled. Aren't you glad? He's going to give us rest. There's a time coming when the persecution and the trials and the struggles of this life will be no more. While righteous judgment is coming to all unbelievers, we as believers have the promise of His coming rest. Often it can look like the ungodly are getting away with it. You ever thought about that? That guy got away with murder. That just doesn't seem right. Uh, This dishonest man is accumulating wealth. These immoral entertainers are gaining fame and notoriety. They're on every magazine. All the while, Christian missionaries are toiling all over the world in relative poverty and anonymity. Guess what? God sees them. And in the end, He's going to give them the ultimate rest. You've heard the story of the missionary who comes home after being in the field for many, many years. He gets home and he hears a band playing and he thinks it's for him because he's been on the field for 50 years. Surely they're meeting me here and they're going to rejoice with me that I spent 50 years on the mission field and now they're going to celebrate. Well, it was a band that was there to greet some politician that was on board. And he got off and there wasn't one person there to greet him. And his heart was a little broken. You know, what kind of homecoming is this? And the Holy Spirit, the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, spoke to him and said, My son, you're not home yet. You know where our celebration, our homecoming's coming? It's in heaven. Amen? And that's the one we need to look forward to. And if people don't appreciate it and you think people are getting away with it, God's judgment is going to take care of all of it. Leave it in His hands. The word revealed there is where we get the word apocalypse. And that word there is speaking of the second coming of Jesus Christ. When He comes back again. He snatches the church away. Right? We're caught up with Him and then we return back with Him. In the rapture, He calls us up from the air and in the second coming, He returns to earth with us. And we see a very clear contrast. But what He's saying here is there's going to be rest. And I believe He's speaking here also about those in the midst of the tribulation, the great tribulation that will come. That God is going to bring them rest. It says the flaming fire, in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God. So the second point, along with this, you know, the first point is that earthly persecution is divinely placed in our lives by God and we need not to be so bummed out about it but say, okay, Lord, what do you want to do in this? Lord, you be glorified. The second thing is that the judgment of God is inescapable and we're going to see this everlasting destruction, this unavoidable penalty. Look what it says. 
So the Lord's going to be revealed from heaven. This is the second coming of Christ, revealed with His mighty angels. And then the Lord says, it's going to happen to those who are persecuting the church, those who are unbelievers. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, your life on this earth does matter. And what you do here does matter. And it will impact where you spend all of eternity. Now, I know we had a lot going on today, so we're going to go a little over this morning and just bear witness. If you're looking and you're going, oh, we're going to eat. Are you, well, sit still. It's all right. Amen? amen? All right. If you didn't say amen, then I'll pray for you. Now, here's the thing. I want to share this with you, though. This fire, isn't it amazing how often fire is a picture of, our, of God? Burning bush. Fire, right? God spoke. Giving of the law of Mount Sinai, fire. As they traveled through the wilderness, fire came down upon the tabernacle. Fire, pillar of fire led the way. In Daniel chapter 7, it says, I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire, a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him and thousands of thousands ministered to him ten thousands of ten thousands stood before him and the court was seated and the books were opened i watched them because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn that's the antichrist was speaking i watched until the beast was slain and its body was destroyed and given to the burning flame the flame is a representation both of god's coming and refining and restoring, and also God's judgment, because these are both characters of God. They're both characters of God. He restores, and He judges. It says in Second Peter, But the heavens and earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. It says, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is to a thousand years and a thousand years is to a day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some count slackness. But He is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. The day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night and we need to be ready. We need to live every day like it. Some people think that I've been living like the world all this time. God's patience is not God's permission. And the fact... For him, it's been six days, right? For him, there really is no time. But in this verse, a day is to a thousand years, as a thousand years is to a day. And when he comes back, we're going to have a day of rest with him, a millennial kingdom reign here on earth. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct, in godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. You know what he's telling them? In the light of the fact that God is coming back, and that righteous judgment is coming, and it could happen today, how should we now live? Shouldn't we live different? It says in Hebrews, for our God is a consuming fire. He's taking vengeance. As I said before, it's not anger as much as it is a righteous and holy response to ungodliness. Look at verse 9. There, 
These shall be punished with everlasting destruction. Okay. These shall be punished with what? Everybody say it. Everlasting destruction. Everlasting destruction. Everlasting destruction. Jesus said in Matthew 25, And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. We must not move away from the fact that the punishment for unbelief is everlasting. God does not create finite beings. Every one of us is going to live forever. It's just a matter of where. Amen? And this is the most significant thing there is. You know, heaven, no matter how great you think it's going to be, it is going to be so much better than that. We're not going to be looking at the gold that's asphalt in heaven. You know, the streets of gold, right? I don't think we're going, ooh, look at the streets, they're gold. I don't think that's happening. I think everything else is going to be so much more awesome that gold is going to be like asphalt in heaven. I also believe that when we talk about the crystal sea and all those things, and so think of some of those beautiful spots you've seen on earth corrupted by sin, and imagine what heaven's going to be like. But you know what? All of that fails in comparison with the fact that we're going to see our Savior. Heaven's going to be incredible. And no matter how great you think it is, it's going to be better than that. But on the opposite extreme, no matter how bad you think hell's going to be, it's going to be worse than that. You hear people laugh about hell, and that ought to grieve us. You hear people say things like, oh yeah, yeah, if I go to hell, man, I'll be fine. It'll take me 10,000 years to shake hands with all my friends. Have you ever heard that? Guess what? You're not going to be shaking hands with anybody in hell. Weeping, gnashing of teeth, everlasting judgment. You know why people try to change that? Because it makes them feel uncomfortable that people maybe that they knew that died are in that place. But do you know if you look at Scripture, that's exactly what it says. It's heavy, isn't it? It's heavy, isn't it? And it, it's, and it is heartbreaking. But you know what? It ought to motivate us. Every Christian this side of heaven should be burned for every unbeliever this side of hell. Because it's real. You know what happens when we water it down and push it away? We start to think it's not that big a deal if people don't come to know Christ. Guys, it is the only deal that matters. What have you done with God's Son? That's it. That's the answer to life right there. Nothing else is going to matter. I don't have time, but you know the story of Lazarus and the rich man. Look it up. Luke 16. You've got a rich man in fire, in torment. And you have Lazarus, a man who was a beggar, and he's in the presence of God. He's at Abraham's bosom. And the rich man's saying, go back and tell my family. I don't want him to come here. Because it is worse than we could ever imagine. Verse, one other thing. Can I say this? Hell is a matter of choice. Nobody is going to hell except that they run over the cross of Christ to get there. If anybody in this room does not accept Christ as their Savior, that's your choice, and you absolutely can do that. And others will say, well, I respect your choice. You know, I don't so much respect your choice. I think it's stupid. How about that? People, oh, we've got to respect their beliefs. I don't respect their beliefs at all. I'm going to jump off this building, and I'm not going to fall. But we respect his beliefs. No, I'm going to grab that guy and drag him away from the edge of the building. Amen? 
And too often we're trying to be politically correct. Don't respect what he believes. No. Don't respect. Reach out to the guy in love and keep him away from it. Amen? Man, I, I, you know, got to move on. <laughs> Almost done, I promise. Verse 10. When he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. You know what's awesome? Not only is he coming for you, but he's going to be glorified in you. Does that blow you away? God is going to be glorified in you. Jesus will be glorified in us and admired by us. I'm blown away. I, I can't believe that I can do anything that would bring glory to God. That God, God is blessed by what I do. Does that blow you away? We ought to be thinking about that as we live out our daily life. The coming of the Lord, will it be good news or bad news for you? Will He be glorified in you? Will He be admired by you? Or will you, will you be eternally separated from Him? Last two verses. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in Him according to the grace of our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, in light of the fact that persecution is going to come upon believers, in light of the fact that through that persecution you're going to grow and God's name's going to be glorified, in light of the fact that God is going to judge those who do not know Him and that it's for all eternity, in light of the fact, how should you now live? Therefore, in light of that, we also pray always for you that God would count you worthy. You know what, guys? We don't earn the worthiness of God. We don't earn it. It's something He gives to us. We are worthy because of who we are in Him, not because of what we've done for Him. When we do good things, it's Christ working out of us, not us trying to attain it. Amen? It starts in our heart first. Final note. What an amazing thought, again, that you and I can be a pleasure to God. I'm blown away by this. Guys, you don't have to earn God's love. He's already given it to you. Did you know that? There's nothing you can do to make God love you more than He already does. What does it say at the end of that video? I love you. You know, I was done. I'm in the back. I, they wanted to play it at the end of worship. I said, no, that can't happen. Because I'll just stand up here and cry for ten minutes and that won't work. Got to have church. You know what I mean? But here's the thing. Don't, doesn't that just touch you knowing that the creator of the universe loves you? He knows everything you've ever done and He loves you. How do you determine the value of somebody or something? What someone is willing to pay for it and what was paid for you? How valuable are you to God? He would rather die than live without you. Now, what do you have to do to be his son? To be his daughter? To be adopted into his family? To avoid that eternal separation? To know for sure you're going to spend eternity in heaven? You know what? You don't have to go through 50 classes. You don't have to even join a church. You know what you need to do? One, realize you're a sinner. How many people here realize you're a sinner? Raise your hand. Okay? You know what sin does? It separates us from a holy God. God had one sin in heaven. He'd have earth part two. There can be no sin in heaven. You're a sinner. Do you know what that means? You need a Savior. Amen? Well, guess what? There's only one that could pay the price. He had to be sinless. That's why Jesus, perfect holy God, came to earth and suffered and died in our place. So, the sin that I committed... The things that I've done, 
The separation that I deserve was taken a place all upon our Savior and He hung on a cross when He had done nothing wrong and He hung there not by the nails because He's God and He could have gotten down anytime He wanted to. What held Him there was His love for you. I don't have any proof of this, but I believe He thought about every one of us by name when He hung there. And He said, I'm doing this for Dave. I'm doing this for each of you. That's our God. The only people that are going to hell are those who look at the cross of Christ and like those who were there that day, spit in his face and say, I don't need it. I don't care what you did for me. I don't need it. I'm going my own way. I don't need your cross. I don't need your salvation. I'm going my own way. You know what? At some point, they're going to get exactly what they've asked for. And you know what? I don't delight in that. It breaks my heart. And our Savior certainly doesn't delight in it. He hung on a cross to keep it from happening. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. And I do pray, Lord, if there's even one person here today who does not know you, that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, you offer salvation universally to all of mankind, but it must be accepted individually. Lord, my heart breaks to think about that video of people who are moments away from death that ignored you one last time. Lord, they'll regret it for eternity. Lord, I pray that nobody here would ignore you one more time. But Lord, that today truly would be the day of salvation. That your kingdom would be added to. Lord, I pray that they wouldn't just be scared of hell as we we should be. But Lord, that they would want to know you. They'd want to to know this God who loves them so much he was willing to die. Lord, I pray that this morning that your Holy Spirit would soften hearts and open eyes and your kingdom would be added to. Every head bowed just quickly. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, the Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved to the glory of the Father. Eternity truly hangs in the balance. You can know Him for sure. I'm not asking you to join a church. I don't want anything from you, and neither does the Lord. He just wants you to give Him your life. He created you. The Bible says if you do that, His Holy Spirit will come to live inside of you, and you will be born again. You'll be a new creation in Christ. When you walk out of this place, you'll have the promise of heaven. Today's the day of salvation. May you not ignore Him anymore. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If that's your desire, I just want you to raise your hand. I'm going to pray a prayer with you. Is anybody here at all? If that's your desire today. God bless you in the back. God bless you, brother. Anybody else? Bible says, God bless you. If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. You choose an eternity. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you, bro. Anybody else? God is so good. He loves you guys. Heavenly Father, I lift up each of these that have raised their hand. And Lord, I pray as we give them a moment to come forward and and pray and commit their lives to you. Lord, that you pour out your spirit upon them. They would know that they're forgiven, that they have the promise of eternal life. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you, Lord, that when one person comes to you, that all the angels in heaven rejoice. There's a party up in heaven right now. 
because people have committed their lives to you. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, if you raise your hand, I'm going to ask you to do something. When we play this last worship song, I'm going to ask you to come up over here and pray with Pastor Dan and myself. We're just going to lead you in a simple prayer to make the commitment to give your life to the Lord. Amen? Let's stand and close the worship song.